Hello, and welcome to Daily Drive. It's Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. What's ahead for the economy in 2022? GM's chief economist shares her outlook. But first, let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Breaking news overnight out of Toyota. The Japanese automaker says it now expects to miss its global production target of 9 million vehicles for the fiscal year ending March 31st. The warning comes as Toyota says the semiconductor shortage will force it to reduce worldwide output by 150,000 vehicles in February. About half of the lost production will be in Japan and less than a quarter from its North American plants. Toyota now expects to make about 700,000 vehicles in February and would need to top 1 million in March to meet the 9 million vehicle goal. The warning comes after the company had trimmed its production plans last fall. It initially aimed to make 9.3 million vehicles. Toyota did withstand the microchip shortage better than most. Not only did it top GM in the U.S., in Europe, where full-year results were just announced, it jumped from 6th to 3rd. Volkswagen, as usual, was number 1, with Peugeot number 2. Overall, registrations for passenger vehicles in Europe slipped 1.5% in 2021 compared with a year earlier. That's not a high starting point, though, after the market shrank 25% in 2020. In the U.S., consumer satisfaction with the vehicle buying experience slipped last year as buyers encountered a shortage of new models on dealership lots and record high prices. However, consumers remain happier with the process overall than before the onset of the pandemic. Those are some of the key findings of a Cox Automotive survey. Overall satisfaction with the buying experience from the research stage through delivery slid to 66% in 21. That's down from a peak of 72% in 2020. But before the pandemic, satisfaction was at 60%. Another key finding, Cox said consumers who did more of their purchase digitally tended to be happier with their experience than those who did more of it in person. Speaking of digital retail, Ford and financial services company Stripe have signed a five-year deal. Under the agreement, Stripe will act as a payment service provider to Ford dealerships in North America and Europe. Ford Motor Credit says the partnership will help the automaker expand its capability for e-commerce and dealership transactions such as vehicle reservations. Sticking with Ford, its Lincoln luxury brand for the first time sold more vehicles in China than in the U.S., The automaker says Lincoln delivered more than 91,000 vehicles in China in 2021. That's a 48% increase over 2020. Lincoln's U.S. sales fell 18% last year, dropping to about 87,000. Lincoln opened its first China dealerships in 2014, well behind much of its luxury competition. The mark has made it a point to study Chinese customers and focus on the retail experience before targeting a sale. A more dramatic shift in business strategy, Bollinger Motors is pivoting its business. Rather than developing six-figure electric trucks for consumers, CEO Robert Bollinger is now focusing on developing chassis for commercial fleets. The company is setting aside plans to bring its rugged, boxy, off-road electric pickup and SUV to market. 
Bollinger first revealed the B1 and B2 in 2019 and started taking $1,000 deposits in the fall of that year. The company says that money totals about $1 million and will be returned to customers. Last year, Bollinger began working on a commercial rear-wheel drive version of its chassis. The unit can be used in various commercial applications such as ambulances, delivery vehicles, and work trucks. One more note, Frank Macher, a longtime automotive and plastics industry leader, has died. Macher spent more than half a century in the automotive world. He started his career with General Motors before spending 30 years with Ford. He went on to multiple leadership positions in the parts sector, serving as CEO of ITT Automotive, Federal Mogul, Collins and Aikman, and Continental Structural Plastics. He was 80 years old. That's the news you need to know. Next up, my conversation with GM's chief economist, who explains that despite the Omicron surge in COVID cases, the U.S. economy is on better footing than it was a year ago. Elaine Buckberg has worked at Morgan Stanley in the U.S. Treasury Department. Now she's chief economist for General Motors. Next week, she will be presenting her views on the year ahead at the Society of Automotive Analysts Annual Outlook Conference. Today, she gives us a bit of a preview. The U.S. is short on workers and short on new vehicles, but strong demand and progress against the pandemic should put the economy and the auto industry on a healthy path this year, if nothing goes terribly wrong, which, well, seems to happen a lot lately. Elaine Buckberg, welcome to Daily Drive. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. So let's start with the big picture. The labor market is super tight. Inflation has been troubling. The Federal Reserve is looking at raising interest rates. Big picture, what is your outlook for the economy heading into 2022? So first, let's take stock of where we are. The U.S. economy rebounded very strongly from the COVID-induced recession. So by the end of last June, we were already above its pre-COVID level and it's kept climbing. I see the economy as having good momentum over the next year, although Omicron's likely to slow growth in January and February a bit. Um, consumer demand is well supported by ample job openings and high household savings, and businesses want to rebuild depleted inventory. So these are solid growth drivers for 2022. Looking at forecasts, the blue chip consensus of forecasters calls for 3.9% GDP growth this year. I think that's achievable even if Omicron slows Q1 a bit. And that's a really strong pace if you consider that the average rate of GDP growth was just above 2% for the decade before the pandemic. So let's now turn to the labor market. It is getting tight. The December jobs report showed that we're continuing to make good progress in labor healing. Nationally, unemployment's uh, just under 3.9% in December. That's a dramatic improvement from when we were at 14.7% at the peak in April of 2020. And we're getting close to the pre-pandemic low of 3.5% that we were at right before the crisis. But What's slowing job gains right now is a labor supply story. There are a lot of workers who are former workers. They were in the labor force and in jobs in February of 2020, and they're still on the sidelines. They're not ready to return to work because they have concerns about COVID. They have childcare issues. 
um, or they're concerned about schools being interrupted, or they've retired early. And actually, we've seen a lot fewer workers enter the labor force through immigration. So we've got this very intense labor demand, almost 11 million job openings in November, but only 6.3 million unemployed workers in December. So Omicron may slow people going back to the workforce, but I think we'll steadily see more people come off the sidelines and um, the unemployment will, rate will continue to fall. And I'm hopeful that more of those people who are have left the labor force will come back. Right now, it's not growth or jobs. It's inflation that's the biggest cloud on the horizon. And I think the most single most important thing with respect to bringing down inflation is easing supply chain bottlenecks. So yesterday's CPI data for December came in extremely high. There's no other way to uh, call it. There was 7% headline inflation versus December 2021 and 5.5% core, which excludes volatile food and energy and is generally a better guide. Um, We saw somewhat of a slowing of momentum in that the month-over-month headline CPI came down a third from November, thanks to lower food and energy prices, but core was basically flat. So the real thing here is easing a wide range of bottlenecks across the economy. So we're seeing signs of improvement in supply chains. Freight prices, especially for ocean shipping, have come down from record highs. They're still very high. And frankly, new and used vehicle prices have been a huge contributor to inflation. Uh, And in December, vehicle prices represented 37% of core inflation or inflation other than food and energy. And year-over-year increase in new vehicle prices was 12%, but 38% on used. So it's largely driven by used vehicles. But we're seeing better chip supply in the auto supply chain. All of our plants but one are running on normal schedules. We're adding shifts uh, and doing weekend overtime. And most of the other automakers are also running their plants on normal schedules. And that means a better flow of vehicles coming to dealers' lots that should moderate auto and price inflation. So, so if supply improves, as I expect, I think inflation will ease in the second half of the year. Consensus forecast calls for 2022 inflation to average 4.6% year over year. And that involves bringing inflation below 3% for the end of the year. So that's a better outlook. I'm still mindful of the risks to this. Um, one would be feedback between prices and wages that could slow the progress in reducing an inflation. And Omicron could slow the progress on supply chain bottlenecks in the next month or two, but I still think it's a downward path. Of course, you know, we didn't anticipate Omicron. We didn't particularly anticipate Delta. We know that viruses do mutate, uh, but we don't know how or when. Do you have a wider than usual range of scenarios this year, depending on how the pandemic plays out? I think everyone's scenarios will perhaps for a long time in the future have a wide range, wider range as we've become aware of the size of the shocks that could happen. But yeah, it's still a bumpy road ahead. Um, we have ongoing disruptions, again, like from freight, in supply chains, risk from potential new variants, although Omicron is both discouraging and and encouraging and that the data suggests that severity is less severe. So that means 
The disruptions we're dealing with right now are generally from absenteeism, that lots of people have contracted Omicron or they're quarantining because they've been in close contact with someone, but we're not seeing the same proportion of hospitalizations. Um, so I think that's an encouraging sign. We're not seeing actual lockdowns or restrictions happening because we've got an increasingly vaccinated and boosted population. And frankly, some people who are not vaccinated are less vulnerable than they were because of past exposure. So yeah, it's a wide funnel. Um, it's a wider range of outcomes. And I think we have to expect some bumps, but I still think that the outlook um, is more encouraging than it was a year ago. You know, I, I, I'm still quite positive on the outlook for 2022. Zeroing in on the auto industry, it looks like production is going to be significantly depressed for another year. It, it is improving, as you said, but the, the forecasts are all significantly below, you know, pre-pandemic level of sales for a third year. Uh, the used vehicles are already pretty depleted. How, how does that supply chain imbalance play out over time? And is there a, a risk of overcorrection or overproduction in the medium term? First, chip supply has improved for GM. And I, I think more broadly for the industry, we're looking for further improvement over the year. We anticipate higher production volumes in 2022 versus 2021, although it's still a dynamic situation. Again, if you look at news reports, we're not seeing a lot of plant downtime from other automakers right now. Mm -hmm. In terms of risk of overcorrection, what we have now is really we're, we're sort of hovering at historically low inventory levels that are just above a million units nationwide and at an industry level. And fundamental demand conditions are very strong. Dealers are essentially pre-selling things that are coming to them and taking custom orders. So honestly, I think that rather than my being concerned about overcorrection, it's that I think it'll take a long time to rebuild inventories to levels, um, anything resembling what they were before. And maybe the new optimum that dealers will choose will not be quite what it was in the past, but whatever they choose, it's going to take a long time to rebuild inventories. It is. I'm thinking more about 2023 and 2024. It just seems like there's going to be so much competition for market share, uh, everyone trying to get a few more marginal units and until until all that marginal profit is gone and, and we're stuck with a glut of vehicles again. I mean, it's always a competitive market, but right now, first of all, incentives are are still at low levels. Dealers are charging substantial markups on the ratio of ATP to MSRP is at a record high. Um, so there's a lot of room in there. And there's going to be a great deal of pent-up demand that has been accumulating in the last two years and will doubtless accumulate into 2022. At the same time, we know that if you look at data on gas sold, people are driving just as much as they were before the pandemic even seasonally adjusted. And so there's every re reason to think that vehicle demand is at least as strong 
as it was in the past, and we have all this pent-up demand. And fundamentally, we've seen a shift of where people live out of core urban areas where they can be more reliant on public transportation and walking to suburbs and exurbs where the number of vehicles per household is higher uh, and they need to drive to buy coffee or get groceries. So I think fundamentally, demand's going to be strong for a long time. It's been so fascinating. People are commuting to the office less often, but they're more dependent on cars really than ever. It's just, we, what had looked like it was maybe going to lead to a, you know, a, a systemic or a, a permanent downshift in demand turned out the opposite. Not only that, but I think the geography of where people work and live is changing. Again, you know, you can look at change, uh, analyze change of address data. Wall Street Journal's done one of several good studies on that and see that there was this um, increase in an existing trend to move towards the suburbs. So for those people who won't be going to work every day in the future, who maybe are hybrid, they may be willing to drive further to get to work. Um, so their average daily mileage might be unchanged. That same drive, longer drive, could take the same amount of time if we take some people off the roads every single day. Um, so there's, a, again, a lot, even for commuting, there's every reason to think there's still a lot of support for mileage, even if some people stay hybrid or remote for the indefinite future. That's not all, folks. Tune in tomorrow to hear what Elaine Buckberg has to say about the economics of electric vehicles. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. You can find me on Twitter at Mittenhawk or email me at jbutters at crane.com. That's C-R-A-I-N. We've got the most comprehensive news on the auto industry 24 hours a day at autonews.com. Thanks to Josh Freed for his editing and production work. Thanks to the ANTV team and web editor Victor Galvan for all their support. And thanks to you for listening. Now, let's get to work. <laughs>